What's up, Unusuals? Jim Martin here from the Unusual Buddha podcast and theunusualbuddha.com. Here to talk to you for a second about Anchor. Uh, it's the service I use to make this very podcast. Uh, first and foremost, it's free. Secondly, they give you tools you can actually record and edit your podcast either from your phone or from a computer. Uh, Anchor also helps with distribution of your podcast. Uh, they can get you on Apple and Spotify, all those. Uh, you can start making money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, and it's everything you need all in one place. So check them out. It's anchor.fm slash start. That's anchor.fm slash start. Can't wait to see what you create. What's up, Unusual? Jim here from theunusualbuddha.com, host of the Unusual Buddha podcast. I am joined here with Daniel Sharpenberg. Um, just want to let, uh, just want to focus on this, this, this year. I don't even know if you can call it a season, but uh, I want to focus on uh, finding new teachers, different styles, kind of explaining uh, sort of the different facets of, uh, of spirituality from the Buddhist point of view. So, Daniel, can you give us like an intro, like uh, tell us who you are and, and, and all that good stuff? Comic book issue one. Hi, everybody. Um, like you said, my name's Daniel. I live in Kansas City, Missouri, and I have been practicing Buddhism for approximately 20 years, and I've been teaching for six or seven, and I, my favorite tradition, the tradition I practice in is the Chan tradition, which is um, the, the Chinese version of the Zen tradition, and we can talk about that some if you want, but I, I have been described as a kind of everyman teacher. So I try, my real goal is to take like the hardest, most complicated teachings and make them easy to understand. And sometimes I succeed at that and a lot more times I don't, but that's really my goal. And um, that's it. I'm on all the social media. I'm on Facebook. I have a website called meditationwithdaniel.com and I'm always looking for more opportunities to teach and more people to connect with. Awesome, awesome. So it sounds sounds like um, so you have been at this for a while and you've been uh, been at the teaching helm. How long have you been teaching? Uh, six and a half years, I think. Good show. I'm so, getting so definitely got some reps in there. It's not like this is a new thing. Like I'm I'm very green, so I'm still learning all like the the things. But uh, you you you've got uh, probably some tried and true methodologies down. That's cool. So, so let's, uh, let's take it back to the, uh, to the Zen Chan, uh, thing. So what, what, if you had to explain Zen to somebody who has just walked into the, you know, walked into the website or logged in or checked you out on social media, what would be, uh, a description you would give for Zen in, in, in like a brief, you know what I mean? Without getting into the weeds, I'm sure you could. So it is really supposed to be a really meditation centered Buddhist tradition and it is it is really about not so much um, finding enlightenment or elevating ourselves as really just cutting away our delusions. That's sort of a reframing. We're not trying to get anywhere. We're not trying to do anything. We're trying to cut away the things that aren't working for us. And so that's sort of the reframing. And I say meditation centered, but of course, well, we think a lot of Buddhism is meditation-centered, right? Especially here in the West. But the secret truth is, overwhelming majority of Buddhists in the world don't meditate. And yeah. the, the original Zen tradition arose as a response to that. Because some teachers traveled from India to China, and they noticed the Buddhists there 
we're we're not meditating and they were like why why aren't people doing the practice of the buddha and we we think of it as a big part of buddhism all around now and that's mainly because in the west meditation practice has really been embraced so in the west it is central to a, a lot of buddhism not all of it though but to a lot of buddhism but historically that has not always been the case so the the tradition was really created as an effort to go back to basics and there are several different buddhist traditions that have sort of the same idea like the um many of the theravada reforms are the same thing they're like how are we going to go back to what the buddha originally taught because right. weird stuff's happening now and we need to go <laughs> back yeah it's, but, it's, it does seem like it has gotten uh it, it does get off bases if you look through the the history of things and there's some that are a little bit culty and then some that get uh kind of in the weeds and and you know hard to hard to follow um that's 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 good is so so does is chan just essentially the, like is there more of a difference than it's just like the is it zen light is it uh zen full flavor is it you know what i mean is there what's what's the distinction with the, the chan edition so and i'm afraid this may not be very interesting to many listeners but <laughs> the uh, so the original oldest teachings is some people say Chan and some people say Chan. I think both are right, but it's uh, the teachings in China as Buddhism always evolves when it travels places, but it traveled to Vietnam and became a little different. It traveled to Korea and became a little different and traveled to Japan and became a little different. Yeah. And it, in particular, the Japanese tradition is the one that came to the West first. And that is why people are really determined to use that word Zen because it's the Japanese version that came to America first. But in Japan, what happened was it got more rigid than it was before. And so there are different uh, sort of sub-branches within the tradition. And in, in Japan, they got really rigidly separated. And in the original tradition, they weren't that way. And in other countries, they weren't that way. I sort of think of it like, I don't know if this analogy is going to hold up. Uh, there was Mongolian wrestling. The guys like would wear very little clothes and like grab each other and struggle. And that traveled to Japan and it evolved into sumo wrestling where you put on as much weight as you possibly can. And then you just try to push each other out of a circle. Right. It's not the same, but that is where it comes from. And <laughs> it's the same thing. I've heard it described as like Zen is like a paved road and Chan is like a dirt path. It's more. Is it natural. like a less less formality maybe is that yeah, formality more earthy okay. and and also more um influenced by other ideas so the chan tradition accepts more teachings from other buddhist traditions and the zen tradition doesn't always do that okay because i was going to say because a lot of times in the in the run-ins i've had online talking to people that that teach zen or follows Zen, they even though it's a path that seems to be as far as I know of uh, Buddhism, uh, it's very anti-dogma, but it seems like they're so anti-dogma that they're then inducing a dogma. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's kind of, it's, yeah. it's kind of like the, the, the tail wagging the dog. It doesn't seem natural. Uh, is that, is that, a, is that what Chan is kind of um, an answer to, to try and get away from that formality? Is that the purpose? That, that's absolutely what it is for me. That's absolutely what it is for me. Um, I think, and I, I think we can point to the history of Buddhism in many ways and see that, right? So a lot of the things that the Buddha wasn't really into 
um, crept into Buddhism, right? Some people worship him and wasn't interested in that. And it's the same thing, right? So this is called the teaching beyond words and letters. And the reason it's called that is because when the first Chan teachers emerged in China, they saw a lot of Buddhists were just reading ancient texts and memorizing them. And that was their whole practice. And so they said, well, this isn't about reading and studying. This is about practicing. What are you doing? This is something to be done. And that being said, although we know it's the teaching beyond words and letters, well, there's more books about this te- this sect than almost any. And we study those books and we enjoy studying them very much. So it's not really beyond words and letters, but we have to remind ourselves, no, this is about something to do. This is not about something to study. If we're just studying it, then it's, it's empty. It's not getting us where we need to go. Studying it's important, but most of our energy needs to be on actually doing the practices because that is where the magic happens. That is where we get somewhere is by doing the practices. I've heard it said that like, 70% of your Buddhist life should be practicing and 30% should be studying. And I think almost all of us have that reversed where like 70% is studying at least. And (laughs) so that's that's sort of what we're talking about here. It's about, man, it's about, you've got to sit, you've got to do sitting meditation or walking meditation. We've got to actually do these things for it to do anything for us. Yeah, I agree. Cause that's, that's one of the things I like about uh, Buddhist practices is, is it does have a lot of, uh, and this is again, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I would say I'm almost non-sectarian because I can kind of like dig through different traditions. I kind of like to to read, uh, like like the analogy I usually give. My teacher told me is that uh, most schools of Buddhism are like one tree, and and the different uh, people that adhere to certain schools have found value in different parts of the tree. It's still the same tree. Uh, some like the branches, some like the bark, some like the the hardwood. So you know whatever. Um, people like different parts of it and adhere to different things of it. Um, and I think that's one thing that, uh, that, that is very interesting about Buddhism is it's very heavily emphasized on, uh, the realization and obviously realization, um, in, in the truest sense, it's hard to get from a book. You have to actually, you know, reading about flowers all day is different than staring at one. You know what I mean? It's one of those kind of things. And I appreciate that. What, um, so what kind of, talk to me about the, the, the day-to-day practice of, of, of Zen and Chan, like what is, or Chan, uh, what, what's the difference? What is, um. Are there like any key characteristics between the two that are uh, not between the two, but between that distinguish it from other schools? So essentially I, I like to say that if I, I, I said this on an interview once and I'll say it again. Now, if I had found the insight tradition before I found the Chan tradition, I don't know if that would have, that may have pulled me in instead because to me it is, very similar. We do a sitting practice that involves a formless practice of just sitting. Sometimes we do mindfulness of breathing as well. Um, Plenty of teachers in this tradition will say that you have to chant, you have to light incense, you have to bow, you have to do all those things. I I say that those things are a little bit less important because to me, the, the sitting is the core and really everything else can go if it needs to. I, um, especially chanting, I really don't like chanting, but 
that's sort of universal to Buddhism. It's a thing we don't talk about much, but it sort of is universal to all the Buddhist traditions. But um, in the Chan tradition, the main practice is a formless practice. So I'm not focusing on a mantra. I'm not visualizing something, which is good because visualization practice is not something I've ever connected with. But no, I'm just going to sit and we're just going to sit and see, see what comes up and I'm going to notice what comes up and be aware of it. And that's it. So it's really a stripped down, a more stripped down tradition than most of the other ones. There are other stripped down traditions as well. And we have a whole lot in yeah. common. That's why I mentioned the insight tradition. We have a whole lot in common with the insight tradition. Okay. But really, the, the core difference is just the, the foundation, just the foundation that enlightenment is something we have already. And we just have delusions in the way that we're trying to see, see around or see through. Right. You have to, to sit see through what is, what is not the thing to find the thing. Is that exactly? Yeah. Okay. Like, I like to describe it as like an excavation. Like we're trying to dig, dig the baggage and the neuroses that we're carrying around which can be very difficult at times and can really be hard to dig through. And sometimes we really want to hold on to our baggage. And that's what we're trying to get through because if we get through that, then we can see things as they really are. And then we will just simply develop more wisdom and compassion and make better decisions. And that is a big aspect of this too, is I want to make better decisions. Right. Right. So, so it's it's not only, is there a, a, um, spiritual element but there's a very practical element to it that 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 is effective right now and right here uh you know sitting in, in like I'm, I'm sitting in my room here drinking coffee talking to you like it's a very practical application to the things it's not all about uh levitation and uh chakras and whatever else people try to sprinkle in there it's it's a very practical it sounds like right yeah to me that that kind of stuff is a real distraction it's okay. a real distraction. We're just doing this and we're trying to get through our delusion and we're trying to get to where we want to go, which is just a more awakened state, a state where we see, we see things as they are instead of through this big filter we have, because the truth is a lot of the time we're not seeing things clearly and that does not serve us well. Right. Right. So do you, do you feel like, um, and, and I don't know if you want to, I'm not asking you to answer this as a, as a representative of the Chan school, but just in general, the question, do you find there's value in any of like the allegorical type stories about, uh, you know, the, the, um, uh, what is it? The, the story with the Buddha who uh, turned a, a serial killer into a, a, a monk and, and all those kind of things. Like, do you think there's any value to those sort of stories or do you think they're just sheerly nonsense? I mean, how, how do you feel personally about the more, uh, I guess, more secular or secularization of, of the Dharma. Okay. So yes, I think there's value in, in stories. And in particular, my tradition has a lot of stories that are unique to my tradition as well. But yes, I think there's a lot of value. So that, that story of the Buddha converting a serial killer, um, the most important part of that story to me is if that guy who is such an awful person can do it, well, so can I then. Right. right, right. What I what I have done is nowhere close to what he's done. Uh, yeah, and the fingers on the I necklace. St- I remember reading about that. The the uh, yeah. he was cutting fingers off and wearing them around, and whew, right, that's heavy. So, <laughs> and I I don't know if it literally happened. I tend to think it didn't. But right, 
So that guy could practice and was worthy. So if I think I'm unworthy because I eat too much ice cream or drink too much beer, well, I'm wrong. That guy was a killer, right? right. Yeah. Worthy. This is for right. everyone. No one's left out. It's really yeah, hard for us that way sometimes. But so that's why that story speaks to me. Kind of, puts, kind of puts our evils in perspective. If you're not out cutting off fingers and killing folk, uh, like you said, that definitely puts the things in, into good perspective right. as far as worthiness. I like that. Right. So, but um, some of those old stories, it's really hard to find meaning. And so that's sometimes what I'm trying to do is I'm writing, reading a really hard story and I'm trying to think, okay, what, why is, why did this come down through the ages? What's important yeah, about this? So, yeah. Like there are some sutras where it's like, and the Buddha spoke and a ma- majestic, like palace full of jewels appeared. Yeah, and I'm like, the, what? The, his crown radiated with lights and, and like, <laughs> right. And okay. like what, what what about this made people want to learn it? Yeah, because yeah. like <laughs> just big descriptions of these things happening that seem Yes, and there's like forty five pages of like the radiance of his light was blue and yellow and purple and it radiated mm-hmm. to the north and to the south and to the west and like they go into this big long thing. Uh I know personally I don't I don't know if this is this might not exactly be true, but the, the way some of that stuff reads to me personally is like their devices for memorization. Because as, as we both know, I'm, I'm, if you study Buddhism for, what was I believe like 400 years or so, it was, it was strictly oral tradition handed down uh, you know, from one person who memorized it to another person to then memorize it. So I, some of that stuff that, that gets really repetitious, uh, I, I feel like those are, are, like I said, memorization devices. Um, more so than actually, I don't feel like a person would talk that way, to be honest. <laughs> right. It's almost like that scene from, uh, from Monty Python where the, the number shall thou count to is three. Thou shalt not count to four, nor shall thou count to five. Like it's, it's very, uh, you're like, okay, you said this 11 sentences ago. Can we get on with the point? Right. Yeah. So reading right. it, I'm like, I don't want to skip over anything, but yeah. Yeah. So that's a good question. Is it, is it, is it, would the Buddha be mad if he skipped? Do you think he would get mad if he like hopped down a sentence or two? <laughs> um, so this is a story I like to tell. It's very short. The Buddha was very sick and he knew he was going to die. And his cousin Ananda asked him, hey, do we really need to follow all the rules you put forward? And the Buddha said, well, you need to follow the important ones and the less important ones you can let slide. And then the Buddha died. So Ananda, everybody's mad at him because he didn't ask the question, well, which ones are the important ones? <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it's, so definitely it's leaves just, it open to interpretation. Yeah. yeah. So, so because of that, I think, no, the Buddha wouldn't be mad. Yeah, I agree. I, I think I, I do feel like a lot of times there's a, a need for people to be so, specific and i think honestly i feel like followers in the west are more uh pedantic about the things of buddhism than people who grew up with it a lot of times i feel like we spend a lot of times making it very adding more ritual to it than even there is who people with people who follow uh natively follow buddhism i think we add a lot to it or we try to make it something that um it isn't like you said like the the you know we we uh put a lot of emphasis on meditation i know when i went to uh the theravada temple um for the two years I was there talking to Laotian followers, most of them really didn't meditate. Most of them, you know, they, they came, they, it was almost like Sunday school. They showed up and they did their chanting. They did their time for a little while. And then they went home to, you know, 
maybe not watch a football game, but you know, wrote their their equivalent of of unwinding. Uh, it was almost like a like a Sunday thing they just did. Um, do you think that uh, we'll start to see, as far as in uh, Western Buddhism as a whole, do you think we're going to start to see that lighten up a little bit? Because I feel like that's a lot of times, uh, for me at least, what uh, pushes people away. I feel like we we use those things to gatekeep or like lord knowledge over people. How do you feel about that? Will you uh, can you? I'll make it more up? succinct. I'm sorry. This is a very very convoluted question, but um, do you think we that? What to- I'm sorry, you're breaking up a little bit. We use what to gatekeep? Uh, like uh, the the more um, esoteric parts of the knowledge, or or you know what I mean, like uh, knowledge of ritual or knowledge of the exact uh, syllable count of words. And oh, you didn't say that Sanskrit terminology right. Do you do you think we'll see that those things kind of lighten up and and sort of like an emphasis more on um, following the spirit of the Dharma versus the very specific, exact, uh, you know, sutra pronunciation of, of Sanskrit terminology. I mean, do you, how do you feel about that? Like, will it, will we simplify it a little bit? Or are we going to keep it? I feel like it, it stays at a level that's a little above a lot of people's heads on purpose. Hmm. Okay. So you know there's I mean? two, yeah, I think there's two aspects of this I want to address. So one is, it seems like people are always bigger jerks on the internet. That's so, <laughs> on the internet i don't think it's going to lighten up but that being said in real life going to a buddhist temple um i've i've seen many times like people are really nervous about like am i bowing right am i doing this chant right (laughs) right but uh what i always will say to people who are struggling with that is nobody's watching you nobody cares if you're doing doing it right nobody's paying attention to what you're doing and we are that way as human beings we think people are watching us right right and we worry about that but i i don't think it's almost like that that zit analogy like people like remember when you're in high school and you're like had that awkward phase everyone gets acne and you're so worried because you had this huge zit on your face but you know no one's really looking at your zit because they have zits of their own it's it's a very like yeah. I, I can't focus on yours because i'm so ate up with with mine right yeah, exactly that. So if you're in the temple and you're bowing and it's not the same way other people are bowing, nobody knows that but you. So in that sense, as practitioners, um, we need to be easy on ourselves in that way and try not to worry about that. Because, yes, that is a big barrier. People are nervous about doing it right. So they may not even go because they're so nervous about, like, what am I supposed to wear? How do I do this? What if I don't know what to do? And so in that sense, um, communities need to be more welcoming and need to let people know that there's not really a wrong way to do any of this. Not really. Yeah. I, I know at my, at my temple, uh, like I said, they were, they were Theravada. So it was a little bit, uh, I guess, old school in there. You know, they were, they were, uh, I always tell people it's like Buddhist Orthodox almost. It's like the old school. This is like your dad's Buddhism. You know what I mean? This is, it's not, the various breakoffs, but um, they were super polite about it. They always seem to, you know, Hey, uh, you know, by the way, please uh, don't forget to take your shoes off at the door. And when you come in, you know, uh, three bows to the statue or, you know what I mean? They had, they were very like straightforward about it. Um, they, they didn't seem to be too um, militant about it. I think that's a concern everyone has. If you read the stuff online in these forums and, you know, uh, me with two years of experience, someone in my position, you know, at a temple, two years of, of temple experience, um, 
some of the people with that same level of experience will come online and, and almost talk about it like it was um, a very, uh, I don't know if you remember Seinfeld, the soup Nazi, like there was a very specific way you had to come in and, and you st- or put your order and you step to the left. And, you know, it's, it, it's a lot less of that is going on. And I think that's a, that's a problem is we're not, um, we're not packaging it well to, to new people, to people that are interested. Um, and I think, you know, we're so worried about trying to spread the Dharma in the right way that, uh, you know, with the, with the finger quotes there, that uh, we're not just letting people get a taste of it. You know what I mean? Does that, does that how do you feel about that? Yeah, I think um, the one exception, because I just said nobody cares what you're doing, but the one exception is some in some retreats, they do care a lot about making sure you're doing things the right way. But hopefully anyone that goes on a retreat has practiced for a while first and they're a little bit prepared for that. Cause that's the one area where I could see people judging you, especially if you go to a really strict retreat where we're all walking at the same time, we're all sitting at the same time, we're all eating a certain way. So all of that, I would say there could be a little bit of people watching you, but otherwise I don't, I don't think it happens. And when we're talking about welcoming new people, well, we, we need to be encouraging and let them know there's no wrong way to do this. And hopefully, again, I already said this, but I'll say it again. Hopefully people going on a retreat, especially a long and strict retreat, have a lot of knowledge already. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's would, true. Yeah, that's true. Because a lot of people tend to think that you just like, you're not just going to dump in off the street and, and, and do 10 hours a day, five days a week, uh, you know, session with, uh, with one of these retreats. It's, that would be the equivalent of, you know, tomorrow I'm just, I'm just going to run a marathon. I think I'm just going to go, you know, 26 miles. It's almost, uh, you know, it's different kind of exertion, but there is like a, an exertion to it. There is learning. You, know, you have to learn the right way to run. Just like you have to learn uh, how to kind of set yourself up to meditate for an hour or more. You know, it's not just, you're not just going to like roll in and, and just, you know, I'm going to meditate for a little bit. You know, you got to kind of, you have to stretch a little bit because it's going to help your back. And you know what I mean? There's like some preliminary right. sort of stuff more for, I don't think so much for ritual, but more for like your one, your sanity and two, your, you know, longevity. And, and to just like, I feel like people that try to jump in too fast, too soon, don't have a good time. And, and, and that's because again, same kind of thing. If you, if you roll straight out of, uh, you know, you just started um, getting into jogging and getting into fitness. So, you know, the next day is not the day to start a marathon. Uh, you're going to want to get a little more time at that before you jump into that. Right. Anybody that like learn learns about meditation and then settles their mind on meditating an hour a day. Like they're going to quit, I think. Yeah. And that's the big thing to reflect on is we don't want people to do it a couple times and quit because then they are going to have that attitude. Oh, I tried it, but um, it's not really a good way to try it because it, it will lead to quitting. And really a lot of people, if they are less ambitious can feel like, oh, my mind's a crazy person. This isn't going to go anywhere. And there, people quit really quickly all the time. So we do need to be careful. We do need to be kind to ourselves because um, the truth is most of the time meditation is going to be hard and it's going to feel longer than it is. And it's not often not particularly going to be pleasant, but we will see the results in our life and it will be worth it. But we have to have have diligence and we have to keep at it when we don't want to. Yeah. I think it's like any good uh, habit, like, uh, 
you know, is, is, all the different ways you can make broccoli. Uh, there was probably a time where you didn't like broccoli, though it is good for you, or or something to that extent. Like it's it's kind of a a bitter herbs sort of arrangement. Like there there will come times where the last thing on your mind is to sit down and meditate, but it is probably the the top thing you need at that moment. Um, I, I I really appreciate that. That's that's a, that's a good point. Yeah, I I like to compare it to flossing because. I know I need to floss. I know flossing is good for me. I know I should do it every day. It's not really that hard, but still, I'm not doing it, right? I have yeah. floss right counter, still not doing it. <laughs> you look at you go, go ah, maybe tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow yeah. I'll do that, yeah. <laughs> I'll floss when there's actually food in my teeth. Otherwise, I'm probably not going to do it. Yeah, exactly. It, it's the same thing with meditation. We're really good at coming up with excuses not to do it. And so in that sense, we have to, be careful. I say consistency. If you do it at the same time every day, that's the way to build a habit. Right. When I first started, I thought, oh, I'll just meditate when I feel like it. And that led to not doing it. And that's what I think a lot of people start with that in their minds. Like, I'm just going to meditate when it, when it strikes me that I should meditate. And that's not, to me, that didn't work. Maybe that works for somebody that didn't work for me. Yeah. It led to a lot of not meditating for a long time. Yeah. And that's, and that's, that's cool. Cause I've, uh, I've been trying to expand my horizon of uh, podcasts and things I'm taking in. So as I can uh, get like a little bit, I, f- I feel like a better perspective on things or a different perspective at least. And uh, one of the ones I've come across or I was suggested to, to me was uh, Seth Godin. And he, he talks about, um, you know, just writing every day was his thing uh, to get his blog to be as great as he wanted it to be. Um, he just sat down and did it every day because he would get the the bad writing out of the way. And I feel like meditation can be the same way. You get those bad sessions out of the way so right. that eventually uh, you run out of bad sessions. Not that there really is a good or bad. I don't want to like term it like that. Cause I know that's kind of like antithetical to the teaching, but uh, you know, you get like uh, the, the, like uh, when you meditate, sometimes you get the sillies or like the itchies or the, you know what I mean? You get those things kind of get out of your system as you uh, go. And, and, and I feel like you get a little bit, um, deeper under the, under the skin or under the surface, uh, the more you try it and the more you, uh, tend to do it, it seems to go a little, I guess, further. Um, Mm -hmm. so it's definitely a good, a good point that, uh, consistency. I really like that. Uh, the one thing I usually tell people, and I don't know if you agree as far as, um, I do like to tell people to to try things a little bit just to see, um, after, at least after having given it a fair chance. How do you feel about that, about, uh, adding a little variety? Is there, is, uh, Chan, is that very, um, because uh, I know you say you like the insight meditation as well as like a like a, a more I guess more formalized sitting meditation. How do you feel about people trying like different uh, you know, objects of meditation or different uh, focal points or things like that? How do, how do you feel about those kind of things? Like adding some varieties. It's just going to be like a very rigid, um, almost nine to five. Like you punch in on the mat and then you you know you go meditate and you punch out. Is it going to be like that or is it okay to add a little bit of like variety and and, and spice it up some? So I think it's not, I think it's great to explore different things and find what works best for you. Um, I'm not sure about like Mondays, I do this practice Tuesdays. Yeah, I do yeah. Days I do. I'm not sure about that, but I think like trying, like, I know mantra practice where you just sit and you just mentally repeat. Oh, money, Padme, whom, or whatever yeah. works for a lot of people. It doesn't work for me, but it works for a lot of people. So by all means, try it. And I know like visualizing works for a lot of people that doesn't work for me on any level, but some people like, like to just sit and like imagine a 
glowing Buddha in front of them or whatever. And I think that that you can try that. That's fine. I think trying until you find something that works for you is absolutely a good thing to do because we, we will know what we connect with. But that said though, if nothing works for you, I think just sitting and being quiet for a bit is a good, a good practice because then you're, you're at least not frustrated that you can't place your mind on the method because if there's no method, there's nothing to be frustrated about. Maybe yeah. maybe wrong about that, but <laughs> I, I found a lot of the time, a lot of the time I'm sitting and really what I'm doing is just waiting for the timer to go off and that's it. And the truth is though, I always tell people trying to meditate counts as meditating trying to meditate gets the benefits of meditation. It really does. Yeah, so yeah, it's almost like a, uh, it's almost like if you, if you um, read a book about pushups, there's only so much value you're going to get out of that until you actually try to do some pushups. Like the, the you know what I mean? You're going to get more out of, uh, if you read, read about a guy that did a thousand pushups, you're not going to get much out of that. But if you did 10 yourself, you'd get more out of that 10 than you would reading about the guy that did a thousand. Right. Yeah. And like, like push-ups, if your form's not perfect, you're still getting some fitness benefits out of it. Yeah. And meditation, same thing. If you're doing it and your form's not perfect, you're still getting some benefits out of it. It's still good for you. And hopefully, hopefully it will, with time, you'll connect with the practice on a deeper level. Right. It's like there's, there's power in showing up. Like that, that much is, is a battle in its own and there's, there's power and value in that. I like that. That's very good. So we were talking about, so you've mentioned a couple of times, uh, chanting and visualization, uh, methods. Uh, you said it's not for you. Um, who, so I guess, how can I, I'm trying to think of a, of a good way to word this. Um, but do you come across students that, um, give you certain signs that maybe one of those methods would be best for them? Like how, how can someone know if like, I don't, I don't want to turn this into like a, you know, uh, uh, one of those pop culture, um, do the, you know, what's your favorite flavor of wine because you like candy bars and you like Snickers and you know what I mean? I'm not trying to turn it into that, but how would somebody know if, if, uh, say they're more of the visual learner, uh, and would grasp meditation more on the visualization front or the, the chanting front? Is there any kind of like indicators, you know, that somebody's going to, that's going to be up somebody's alley or, or how someone could know that's up their own alley? A tough, tough question. So I think visualization, I think right away, somebody who, is an artist. And by that, I mean someone who's creating art all the time. That right. is the person visualization works for. Somebody who can just paint something. Like they just see it in their mind and they can just paint something or draw something. I can't, if I'm trying to create anything, I have to have a picture in front of me to look at and work from that. So I'm not in that way. I'm not visual. Yeah. Almost, almost like a creative and imaginative person. That makes sense. Right. Right. So somebody, if, if art is the center of someone's life, then I think visualization probably works a lot better for them than it does for me. Okay. Chanting. I think, I think the purpose of chanting is to connect with the people around you and you're all doing it in the same voice and that can bring power to your practice. I think that's why people get something out of chanting. And so I think someone that has just an incredibly tough time practicing alone and just really feels like they never get anything out of it when they practice alone, 
that maybe that would be the person who yeah. really gets something out of chanting. That's about all I can think of. Cause I've heard people describe it. Cause, uh, cause I, I do it in the most, I think like I do everything uh, in the most undisciplined way possible. But uh, usually when, when people are rocking out in their cars uh, on, on the way to work or on the way from work or to someplace or wherever, uh, usually that's when I'll try and, and apply that. Um, because, you know, like, like we were talking about earlier, uh, no one's worried about what I'm doing in my car because they're doing stuff in their car. And even if they are worried about it, maybe it'd be a cool picture of like me really like, oh, man, like really screaming it out. Um, that, that, that's really funny. Um, <coughs> excuse me. But I have heard a lot of people say that it almost feels empowering, I guess. So I guess that's, uh, you know, if that's something that's kind of up your alley, um, maybe that would help. But um, as far as uh, analysis kind of things, do you think some, what do you think somebody that's more uh, factual or more grounded in, uh, I guess, the physical, what would be like a better method for someone that, that finds themselves to be more, uh, I don't know, I guess, more practical and, and, and pragmatic in their way they do things? Um, I think attention on the breathing or attention on the body. Those are the, the two most down to earth things. Yeah. And those are the, some of the things I'm a fan of the two, they're just really down to earth. I'm going to pay attention to how my body feels because the truth is we're usually mindless going through our life when we don't realize like I'm wearing clothes, but I don't feel the clothes on my body unless there's a problem or unless I'm bringing attention to that. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that, and that, and that's also why sometimes when people sit, they have strange itches and thing. Um, we call that s- sitting on the anthill is what we call that. And that is when <laughs> you sit down and suddenly just everything feels unpleasant. Whereas you can sit down a long time watching Netflix and you feel fine. But then when you sit down to just meditate, then suddenly I have all sorts of problems. Right. So yeah, yeah. Attention on the body. Yeah. Really the body and the breath. These are both things that we don't pay a lot of attention to unless there's a problem, but they're always with us and they're always happening. So I think that they tend to be the most practical and down to earth things we can focus on. Yeah. I like that. And, And like we said, it's always available. Like you're, you know, obviously you're, you're in your body. So you're always having that. And as long as you're breathing, uh, you'll have plenty of plenty of breath to focus on. I like that. Right. And, and I can, you know, I can bring my attention to my breathing anytime, not just in my formal sitting practice, of course, but also like I'm driving or I'm taking a walk or whatever. I can bring my attention to my breath at any time. And sometimes that's something I like to do if I'm in a stressful situation is just, just take a minute and pay attention to my breathing instead of whatever's happening. And that just puts a space in there between whatever's happening in my emotional response to it. So yeah, it's a really powerful thing for us to focus on. Yeah. And I like that. Cause that, a lot of times that gap, even if it's a, a one breath gap, uh, like I said, I, I tell people I'm kind of nerdy about this stuff. One, one in and out breath for me, you know, if I'm, if I'm calming myself is usually about eight seconds uh, round trip. Um, I think a lot of times that gap is really, is really helpful in uh, you know, sometimes that deep breath is, is really all that keeps me from doing a dumb thing at that moment. You know, a lot of times um, there's a lot of value in that. So I, I, I could really appreciate that. Um, I did want to talk to you uh, to get a little bit, uh, I guess, quasi uh, selfish and change gears a little bit. Um, how do you feel about people who like, what are your thoughts on trying to um, market and monetize med- meditation and, and things like that? You know, I use these words and a lot of times these words have like a negative connotation. Um, I recently did uh, have an interview uh, I did with Kevin Ellerton of Meditation Magazine. And one of the points he made to me was, uh, you know, we, we live in a capitalist society and we need to 
kind of create a better relationship with uh, capitalism because, you know, you can only help when you have money because that's how it works here. But how do you feel about, um, is, is there a disconnect? Uh, uh, you know, like I said, I know your time's worth something and making materials is worth something. So where, where do you feel like the, the, uh, the line is, I guess, like uh, people that charge for teachings or che- people that, uh, you know, lead classes and things like that. How do you feel about that? So, yes, our time is worth something, first of all. Um, I think it's very strange because on the one hand, if you do anything that costs money, there are going to be people that show up and shout, like, how dare you charge for the Dharma, right? Yeah. This is a holy teaching. You should not be charging for this. And at the same time, everyone charges for this. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. it is really strange. Like anybody, whenever I see somebody say that, I ask them, well, who are your favorite Buddhist teachers? Who's your favorite modern Buddhist teacher? Because the Dalai Lama charges for teachings. Thich Nhat Hanh charges for teachings. Yeah. Jack Cornfield charges a lot for teachings, Jack right? Cornfield, oh my God, I was looking into that one. We could, we, I think we need to stop here and have a sidebar on this one. The, so I think you and I have actually had this conversation either in, in the comments of things or, or in Messenger with one another. But so looking this up, uh, his, because his, I, you know, of course, everything like is targeted now. So you search one thing one time and you're going to get fed ads from every single corner of the universe. But uh, I got an ad for uh, Jack Cornfield's class with, I think, Tara uh, Brack mm-hmm. or Bratch, however you say her name. Um, again, it, it turned me off from the get go. So I haven't really dug into it much further. But uh, seven, like the one I saw was $7,000 just to be uh, eligible. And then you had to win a lottery. And then you had to uh, get onto their program. Like there, the, it was a, you know, so, so $7,000, you had to win a lottery to get in. Uh, then I think it was two or three years. Um, you had to be in their program and you can't teach in that time. So you can't do that to make money. You have to have another job. It, that doesn't count room and board. Um, you know, if you say site, it's very expensive. If you say offsite nearby, it's very expensive, but you have to be, uh, I don't know with COVID now, maybe that's changed some things, but you had to be, um, near it but i mean you're talking this is thousands of dollars and and people wonder why there's like only rich people teach meditation and a lot of times it comes down to this i mean i think this is insane how do you feel about like like that level of i mean don't get me wrong like i feel like there's some minor offenders and i feel like in my opinion i don't know any of them but uh, i feel like that's that's a little bit like that hurts my heart to even read how do you feel about like those that level of of monetization so um First of all, I want to say I've seen that ad dozens of times. So it's very clear to me they paid Facebook a lot of money for me to keep yeah. seeing that. Well targeted um, for sure. <laughs> and that I, I won't uh, I won't judge somebody for spending thousands of dollars to advertise on Facebook. But I think um, I wouldn't do that even if I was able to. But my sense is they want you to teach it like a college, edu- treat it like a college education. So it costs like a college education. That's a similar cost to a college education. And what troubles me is I worry about people who spend that much money and they don't have a teaching career at the end. Because the truth is an overwhelming majority of the people trained in these kinds of programs don't get their own meditation teaching career that goes anywhere. They don't. Right, right. It's almost like a, like a fascination. It's, it's like a taking a karate class at the Y for free or something, you know, it doesn't, you spend a lot of money on this. Right. So 
I have a feeling that some of that is um, because I hear this sometimes that some of that is like, I am a counselor for this big company and this big company is going to pay for me to go to this meditation training. The cost doesn't fall on me. I think many of the students that take that are in that situation and they aren't actually paying that rather a wealthy big companies paying it for them. Who's going to write it off on their taxes. And, and Right. <laughs> right. So that, that is one sense. Um, Cause yeah, I like I like, said, I'm not looking to vilify. I just, I'm trying to make, make like unpack this a little bit for some people, you know? Right. I, I, I but I, I do think to myself who, who support is someone doing this instead of college. Is that how people are affording this? I, right, I don't. Right. Um, Cause they but, do talk about there's grants. They have, there is a grant program they've mentioned. Right. I don't know. It could be total nonsense, but you know what I mean? They mentioned it in there in the same thing in the ad. Cause I click it and scrolled through and I'm sure that's probably why I get fed more of them. But, uh, but yeah, that's, I agree. Like that's whew, so expensive. Right. So I just like, I don't, I'm sure it's a great teaching program. I just, and I'm maybe having trained by Jack Cornfield on your resume helps you as a teacher. Yeah. I don't, but I just, I just worry about people with expectations spending that money and thinking they're going to get it back in the first year or something, because I don't think they are. And the other thing, a small, small group. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think they are because and some of them aren't even interested. Like you said, they went into it. Like it's, it's different than college because college, like I had so many friends that went to, you know, they went out for graphic design or they went out for, you know, whatever hundred things people do. And they end up like one's a, you know, one's a pharmacist and that's okay. Like there's nothing wrong with that, but you know, they, they went into it with the idea that they wanted to do this thing. And then they kind of, you know, through a series of compromises took what they took to, to make you know their means. Um, but this one seems like, like you said, like the overwhelming majority of people are not going to take this course, get that little piece of paper and then hang it on the wall of their, their meditation dojo or their Zendo, or, you know what I mean? They're not going to take it somewhere and do something like that with it. Like you said, I think it's just one of those, uh, something to put in your LinkedIn profile. I don't think it's really a, it's not being used to the value. And, and I feel like it's almost, uh, it, again, it sets the bar so high. Like, I feel like there's a lot of, like, I always get worried because there's people and I talked about uh, gatekeeping earlier, but it seems like uh, with a lot of this stuff, I think one of the, the phrases I've heard uh, coined, I think actually by Ann Gleig uh, was the upper middle path was that it, it's almost mm-hmm. to the point where, um, the bar is set so high that this teaching does not uh, reach the people who quite frankly could maybe not use it. Maybe, maybe not, doesn't have to be more, but could use it equally as much, uh, you know, in, in lower income brackets. Cause I'm sorry, like there are a lot of stresses in inner city life. I mean, I never lived in a, in a big city, but I've always kind of lived in more or less the ghetto my whole life. And um, so a lot of stresses there that, that a little bit of uh, meditation and calm and, and just how to, work with your own inner climate uh, would really help people. And I think that that's something that, uh, that it almost becomes self-reinforcing. You know what I mean? Uh, it, it's the, it's so expensive. So it's only for rich people to then turn around and teach two rich people, uh, which propagates it further in rich communities. And it never uh, just like, uh, you know, sprinkle down economics. It never quite hits the, hits the ground. It always kind of is uh, the rain is always kind of absorbed before it gets there. Um, how, so uh, I guess I kind of cut you off here. I'm sorry, but uh, how, how do you feel about um, trying to like, you know, make it, make it, uh, I guess back to this initial question. I'm sorry. I'm like so convoluted here. I have like 7,000 things swimming in my brain here. Um, 
so there, do you feel like there's a line between like, we can make an, a little bit of money at this and we can also like make this open and available to people? Yes. And I think like programs like this, a lot of the time they will say we have, we have scholarships. We're not eliminating poor people, but then you find out like, well, yeah, but the scholarship is like 50% off. So it's still thousands of dollars. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not like you're going to find this on your ASVAB form, you know, to, to fill out for your, or, uh, not ASVAB, uh, FAFSA. You're not going to find right. Jack Cornfield's program. I got to put that on my FAFSA and I'll just, uh, what's his accredited, uh, institution number. Hey, and I'm sure they do have grants and outreach to people in poor communities. I don't know to what extent that is, so I can't really comment on it, but I yeah, do it's think not to vilify. I'm just like, like getting only out the open. certain class of people can learn how to teach meditation. Only this certain class, like, are we, I, I would compare it to um, all the barriers in place that stop you from becoming a doctor, right? There's a yeah. lot of barriers in place that make that really hard. And maybe this is sort of the same thing, but this is all about relating to people and teaching them. So I wish the barriers were a little lighter, but that being said, there are many of many programs out there and there are, there's a wide range of cost as well yeah so and also let's be honest there's a wide range of costs but there's also a wide range of uh how to put this nicely um are they full of shit or not (laughs) some of them some of them are a 45 dollar piece of paper in a box and you just you just you you paid for the paper and you you know click a clap you know a couple fill out a couple things answer a question or two and you know you're certified in the acme school of meditation and then some of them are I don't remember the, the name of it, but one was, because uh, again, I was, I was researching for a little bit to, to get a, a certification because I felt like it would add validity to what I'm doing or, you know, I felt that way. Um, and, I, and it comes and goes, but uh, there was one that uh, I want to say it was in Sedona and it was like four years and it was basically a four year retreat and it was like $45,000 and you lived with them, you stayed with them, you like everything was... And it, it got a little weird because it's it almost like culty kind of the way it looked on paper. But again, I don't want to, I don't even remember the name to, to, you know, shoot them down or whatever. But uh, like you said, like there's a range, there's a huge range, not only in cost, but in, in um, viability, I guess would be a better word for, or how um, actually applicable some of this stuff is. Cause there are some of these programs that are just, it's not like yoga, like yoga has a very, ironclad set schooling system and you have, you know, your, your 200 hour and your, your uh, I think 500 hour and your different levels of, of training there. But uh, meditation as of yet doesn't have a uh, sanctioning body, I guess the same way yoga does. Right. Not, not a uniform one. Yeah. So I think there are diploma mills, diploma mills out there. Where you just- <laughs> I've never heard that frame that phrase. I like that. That's funny. Right. You just go and you just don't do anything and they give you a meditation teacher certificate. So I don't know what shape it's going to take. I don't know if it's going to become more like yoga is yoga seems to have figured this out earlier than meditation, but that is, that is true. And I, I have a sense that anyone that spends a lot of money on one of these programs will get, a lot of training. I, I do have that sense, but still it's uh, my main concern is just expectations. People think they're going to get a teaching career. And of course they don't always. So, but I, I, that being said, I don't have an answer to that. 
Yeah, not, yeah. It's more of and, more of a banter back and forth because I I, right. I I never really get to talk to people. This is interesting about because uh, like I put this question out and and you actually put this uh, that I should look into exploring more teachers and more and and talking to more people. And I was like, you know, that's really true because I have my perspective, but my perspective, right or wrong, is not going to match yours. And I think this is an awesome way to really branch out and kind of get your uh, not just yours, but like everybody's different uh, sense because we're all s- sort of looking at a similar thing, but there's so many facets of it that. Uh, it's possible to see it in 10,000 different ways. Um, this is interesting to have these conversations. Like I said, I almost feel like this part's like selfish, but uh, I feel like there's still value in it. And it's still interesting. Um, and we put the same thing on um, retreats. Yeah. Also a wide range of cost of retreats. And sometimes I will hear about a retreat that's like $300 for three days. And I think, Oh, well it's expensive to put this on of course. And other times a retreat again, a retreat can also be like $6,000 and just a pretty short time. And you just think, where's all that money going? But at the same time, um, renting spaces is expensive. Yeah. Hiring is ex- staff. Yeah. The costs are probably a nightmare on a lot of these, yeah. you know, a lot of these situations. So, and not to mention uh, the, the liability of having people together on a compound, uh, sort of setting you know what i mean it's almost it could it, if you're not careful i feel like that could become like an episode of big brother or something where it's like very like convoluted person inflated personalities and egos and and you already have people that are kind of rummaging through possibly spiritual damage or you know like you know, abuse situations or things that arise as you meditate as you quiet down the everyday chatter and there's there's some underlying things that are kind of bubbling under the surface that you probably wouldn't get to and you've got all these people essentially tune a can together and like, don't talk and don't, you know, and eat at this right time. And you, you know what I mean? You kind of add those stressors. I think that that's a dangerous, uh, a dangerous, uh, I'm sure there's a lot of liability to that kind of thing is it adds into the cost. And I've seen, I have seen the argument made that people, we should be going on two or three or four week retreats every year. And I do not subscribe to that. I think that I can't, imagine having the kind of life where I could go on a four week retreat every year. Thank you. Thank you for saying that out loud. Holy shit. Because one, the cost of them are astronomical. I think 6,000 is, is probably I've seen more expensive and I've seen less expensive. So 6,000, even though to me right now, that is absolutely unattainable. Uh, but 6,000 is, is, you know, it's more or less middle of the road. There are some that are vastly more expensive, than that. And not to mention, like you said, like if I went to my employer and I said, I need, you know, three weeks off for this, they would probably laugh in my face. And, and, and I have, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a firefighter, so I could probably like save up the time to get it. But again, they, they would laugh in my face. Uh, and, and I, I feel like I have a better job that's meant for, you know, getting, uh, it's kind of built around having, uh, those time off. Cause I really would only have to take off like nine, nine, 24 hour days, uh, to mm-hmm. get that time. But, uh, yeah, I think that really makes it, again, that's another one of those things that sets the bar so high. Like if I worked, uh, you know, my, before I was a mechanic, if I was a mechanic and I asked for three weeks off, they'd ask for my, they'd ask for my two weeks. Like, sure, you can have that three weeks as soon as you turn in your papers. Like they're not, you know what I mean? They wouldn't give you that kind of, of time. And I, I can imagine, you know, your Walmarts, your McDonald's, you know, the, these kind of places that um, hire a lot of people, they're not going to they're not going to let you do that. So, I mean, there's that cost. I mean, I couldn't, one, I couldn't afford the class and two, I couldn't afford to go three weeks without making any money. Like that would be impossible. You know what I mean? Like I just, it, it, yeah. it's so far out of my realm. And you're saying like, like who, 
uh, not, I don't you have to name any names, but is this like um, a, a, a popular group of they or or is this uh, yeah. is like an it's, in crowd kind of thing? <laughs> it's not an uncommon view among well-known Zen teachers. It's not an uncommon view. Oh, that's insane. And, um, really, that's really where I break away from a lot of teachers when I when I say, well, I think like a weekend retreat sometimes is good, but I, I don't think it, I'm a householder teacher. That's what I say. I'm a householder yeah. teacher live in the world in an ordinary life. I'm not trying to escape an ordinary life. And so I'm not practicing in that way that some other people advocate for practicing. Yeah. Not, not everybody can, uh, what, what is it? Go forth into the homeless life. And, you know, like the sutras say, and we're all going to cut off our, our ponytails by the river Ganges and, you know, like dump into this. And like, you know, I, I think uh, not, not to get too personal, but I think you also have four kids. I have four kids and like four kids. Yeah, I cannot leave these, these, these are four dependent little humans and not to mention my, my, my wonderful wife who's actually watching them right now so that I can have this conversation. Like I can't do that. Like I couldn't leave them for three. Like I feel bad leaving for, for 24 right. hours at a time, let alone three weeks. Are you kidding me? I'm gonna come back and it's going to be like, who are you? Like, you're not dad. You're just that guy. Like, you know what I mean? That doesn't make any sense. A hundred percent. If I said to my wife, Hey, I'm going to leave for three weeks. Yeah. Deuces. <laughs> I could say that to her. And she would say, okay, because she's mostly a saint, but <laughs> I wouldn't feel good about it. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's the position that I think, yeah, I think I could get her to, to let me go, but I don't like uh, let me go. Is that why yeah, I need yeah. permission? I think I could get her to say, to yeah, sign off for it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't feel good about that. Yeah, right? exactly. So, exactly. It so, almost taint the whole experience from the beginning. Right. Yeah. So, aspect of my practice is practicing with children in my house children who are sometimes loud and sometimes need attention (laughs) trying to practice around that because to me this is not separate from our life and i think we fall off track when we think the practice has to be separate from our life yes it doesn't have to be those bento boxes you know you see those things like a meal and separate different you know there's rice here and then whatever crab rangoon over there but it doesn't have to be that it's 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 a it's a goulash kind of thing happening uh here that it's it's a combo of the moments and and you can't really separate the 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 substance from you know it's like trying to take the moisture out of water like what would it be you know what i mean like what what are you right you left with nothing exactly yeah so right to me i'm not trying to go away from the world and I, so I do see that differently from a lot of teachers because a lot of teachers do say you have to go away from the world. And really, it's an aspect of Western Buddhism that we have is that people go away from their lives to go to the temple and practice or to go to the meditation center and practice. And yeah. Western Buddhism really sort of invented that because I'm, in other places, it's a community it's a family thing. You don't go away from your loved ones to practice. You're rather all practicing together. And here we don't, we don't really do it that way. And yeah, that's well, a, I, I think that's, that's I, I, honestly, in my opinion, not to point fingers at any particular tradition, but I think that's very much a, a Christianity thing. I think that's very much a mindset that comes from how on average, a lot of us were raised, you know what I mean? Because it, it always like, because the monks, 
uh, you know, the nuns, they were always very separate and there was the, the bishops and, you know, depending on what traditions and those kind of things the the pastor was often separate from the rest. And you know what I'm saying? I think, I think that that's a, one of those weird things that, that, that people like you are out here trying to break down that, that distinction that isn't like you're a teacher, but you're Daniel, you know what I mean? Like you're not yeah. to, not to diminish what you, you know, who you are, or what you've done, but you know what I mean? At the end of the day, you're, you're still approachable as Daniel, you know what I mean? You're not like, you're not going to, excuse me, my hat is very tall and I must be, yeah. you know, uh, approached thusly and, and, and spoken to as venerable Daniel, you know what I mean? It's not going right. to, it's not one of those kind of things. Yeah. And you know, I once worked with a teacher who was really into the robes and the hats and the titles. Most, he called himself most venerable. And um, I broke away from that <laughs> like, because I was just like, we're two different. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Say that what he's doing is bad, but that is not. That's a, that's a that could be. I could see how that could be a very oil and water situation. That's not right. going to mix very well. Right. So, um, that's what I have to say about that. I think teachers can sometimes really go too far to to a way that doesn't connect with me anyway. Maybe yeah, and maybe yeah. really love that and it really helps them. Okay, but it's not for though. I, th- I think one of those things is uh, it's, it's kind of like a microcosm. Like what, what is happening inside of you is, is a good example of probably what's happening. You know, you're probably not the only one feeling that way. Uh, mm-hmm. I know a lot of those things and a lot of those situations, it's easy to feel alienated. It's easy to feel like a stranger in a strange land because, you know, uh, I, I don't know how to make the correct um, uh, accent mark on a word on my keyboard or, you know what I mean? Like they, they tend to make this like a very elitist thing and it does uh, I don't want to say elitist because I don't know that's exactly the right word, but you know what I mean? Like as far as like an us and a them type yeah. scenario, a learned and, and, and muggles type situation um, that it doesn't need to be. And I think that that's one of the things that really I, I find off putting with a lot of schools. And it's kind of been why I've been doing my thing uh, alone and separate. Cause I, I don't know if I've told you my story of uh, the Theravada temple I went to when my teacher left, he was the only one who spoke English there. Uh, so when I came, they said, Oh, you need to talk to Edward. And I talked to Edward. We had classes. We did our thing for the two years we did. It was uh, at least once, if not twice a week. And uh, when I left, he, he had a very honest conversation with me. He said, they've been after me to get money from you and any friend you could bring here for two years now. Um, you know, so it is out there. Like, don't think because people are getting into spiritual things, even though it may be well veiled, even though it may be well uh, hidden or, or in the, you know, in the back room, like the Wizard of Oz, you know, behind the curtain. Um, the things do cost money and there are sharks in it. You know, I think mm-hmm. that's one of the points I try to make to people is uh, before you start separating yourself from dollars, um, n- like do your homework, you know what I mean? Like, like if you feel it and that's good, uh, you know, uh, but I don't want you to think um, I hate it when people feel like they have to support a, uh, one of the douchiest people in, in, in my mind in the, any kind of religious uh, setting is like Joel Osteen, like, you don't need to fund the guy having a damn, you know, multi-million dollar uh, mm-hmm. home or jet or, uh, you know what I mean? Like that's that's stupid. You should. I, I'm sorry. Like I get it. Like you can, you know, if you had the jet, you can get places faster and do things. But are you doing it with? Is that what you're doing with that jet? No, you're. It's a status symbol, and that's that's the kind of stuff that kills me. Is there's a lot of uh, uh, people that are thinly veiling it, and and I hate to say it, a, a good salesman is a good salesman, and uh, they can talk you right out of your dollars. And while $10 may not be much to uh, him, if he gets 10,000 people to do $10, that's quite a bit of money. And uh, that $10 could have been, quite frankly, that, you know, 
gas money yeah. could have been, you know what I mean? Like it could mean a lot to you and uh, it's easy to be talked out of, you know, your, your dollars uh, because of a salesman. You know what I mean? That's one of the things that that's the, that's the, I always have sort of a, a moment where I'm trying to figure out, uh, am I going too far with marketing? Am I, you know, trying too hard to monetize? But again, like we've talked about, like this stuff costs money. Like it's not free to, you know, it's, it's, uh, podcasting is free. And I, I think I'm, uh, right now, I don't know about if you have like the latest ad thing on anchor, but I think I'm making a penny, a, a, a listen. It's not like, you know what I mean? I don't think I'm even making that much. Like it might not even be that much. It might be a penny per three listens or something like that at the moment. But, um, you know, it's a lot of, there's a lot of cost that goes into this. And, um, and like we said, the time is worth a lot of money. And I don't think people realize that is that it's not just as simple as, you know, uh, we'll, we'll turn on the screen and we're just going to watch Daniel sit quietly. Like Daniel has to put some thought into this. Daniel has to sit down with the kids, with the wife, with the, you know, you got to make meals for him. You got to clean up after him. You got to do all those normal things. And you have a job like a normal, you know, you're, you're, I don't know if it's exactly nine to five, but you know what I mean? The, the analogy there is your nine to five job. Um, and you're, you're taking time to separate from those things to do uh, something that though it is for the greater good. And, and yes, that is fulfilling. Um, I don't think it's fair to say that, like you said, like people think like, Oh, these are, you, you have to do this for free because this is a, a religious doctrine. Um, you know, yes, it is. That information is free everywhere. Just like the, the Bible, you can type in the Bible and you can get all the, the raw stuff for free. But uh, you know, Daniel can put a little salt on it. Daniel can, can season those ingredients a little differently or, you know, Jim can, or, you know, whoever, you know, if you're into Jack Cornfield, that's great. Uh, you know, whoever you're into, those those people uh, adding their flair to it, adding their spin to it, um, is a value proposition. I hate to use like business words and like I'll adjust my glasses to look very official, but uh, <laughs> you know, like it's it's it, it is like it's it's, it's a um, it's a you know your time should be worth something. I think. How do you feel about the marketing in the sense of um, spreading the ideas? I know uh, you know we uh, obviously the unusual Buddha. Uh, has a, a long uh, pile of, of memes uh, of varying levels of inappropriateness. Uh, how do you feel about people like, uh, and again, you can be totally honest. You're not going to hurt my feelings. How do you feel about people like taking liberties with, uh, with some of the ideas to try and spread, um, you know, cause like I always, th- I always think an idea goes a little further with some humor and that's why I try to spin my, my things the way I do. How do you feel about, about, I guess, like I said, taking liberties with uh, the teaching to try and get it out there? I think um, the secret truth is that's always what's been happening. First yeah. of all, like all of Buddhist history is. <laughs> yeah. Big, True. Right? Everyone flavors it. It comes, like you said, right. it, it, as everywhere it goes, it kind of like a snowball, it picks up the local snow and, and becomes bigger. Right. I think the Buddha died. And then the next day people started flavoring it. Like I, so <laughs> I think one that's always happened and it's dishonest for us to act like it hasn't happened. And then two, like, I think we just have to reflect and make sure we're not causing harm. Um, and I don't think putting little jokes in there causes harm. Yeah. So I think that it's fine. I think that people are too uptight and it's fine. Add whatever flavor we need to, to yeah. inspire people. Ultimately we're trying to inspire people to practice and yeah. that is what it's all about. And that's, yeah. And I totally agree with that. I love, I love the way you phrase that because I think that that's, um, you know, I, th- I think one flavoring the ingredients, you know, not everybody likes tuna, uh, but you may like tuna a certain way uh, or, or a certain uh, avenue that, that you incorporate may be different than how I incorporate it. And it, you may reach people 
further and, and better in a deeper, more relatable way to, like you said, at the end of the day, get, you know, get butts on the mat. Like that's what we're after. Or, or maybe it doesn't have to be butts on the mat, you know, walking meditation, whatever you call it, but like get people in the mix, get people doing this. And that's, and that I think is, is really valuable. Um, do you, uh, do you have like a certain, any, any projects coming up you're into anything you're trying to, uh, I think you, you, you have a book coming out, right? I have a book called Sharpen Your Mind. Sharpen Your Mind. Available on Amazon and it's available to order on my website as well. As well. It's just really about my style of teaching. That's really what it is. Some of it is transcriptions of talks I've given and it's just the way I see things and people tell me it's pretty good. It's got some good reviews. So nice. Sharpen Your Mind is the title. It's available on Amazon and other. SC, uh, is it, is it spelled like the, the first part of your name sharpen a mind or is it sharpen like sharpen a pencil? I thought about it, but no, it's spelled like the real word. Sharpen. Smart, smart. <laughs> yeah. See, that's cause I would totally screw that up. I'm like, where's the right. H go? Where's the S go? Where's the C? Right. Damn it. <laughs> it. It is a play on my name. Obviously right, right. kind of odd last name my whole life, but no, I didn't, I didn't take that extra step and put a letter in there. That, so, <laughs> so so this is actually not your first book, right? This is, uh, I think I saw, looking up your, your uh, author history on Amazon, you have a few books, right? I do have a few other books, but this one is by far the best. So, okay, so this, is this like a bit of a change in direction for you? Um, I think I've more found my voice than anything else. I've found like my that. voice. So um, if people just love buying my books, then by all means, buy all of them. But Step right up. <laughs> this is the one. Okay, very cool. And... Um, do you have any good like teasers out of it? Do you have any like good little tidbits you like to give people or anything from it? What is, what no. is, what is no, no, just gonna have to dive in. <laughs> and it's just, it's just about seeing things clearly and not letting life pass us by. That's like what that. it's about because we're sleepwalking through life. We're letting life pass us by. And I want to encourage people to live in a more intentional way and react rather act instead of react or respond instead of reacting all the time. Cause a lot of right. the time something happens and we just do something and we don't even think about it. And really? I want to learn how to think about it and to act in the wisest way I can in every situation. And that's really what it's about. Well, that's awesome. So definitely uh, I'm going to sit down and get all your, uh, your links and everything. Uh, I wrote down the, the title and uh, you said the book's available on Amazon and through your website. Correct. Yes. Awesome. And what was your website? One more time for everybody listening at home. Meditationwithdaniel.com. Meditationwithdaniel.com. I'm writing it down. That is definitely going to be on the headline, at least, or at least in the notes. All right. That's awesome. All right, guys. So you heard it, heard it here with uh, Jim Martin here with Daniel Sharpenberg. Uh, we sat down. We talked about some good stuff, covered a lot of ground. I uh, hope you appreciated this episode. And definitely get out there and check Daniel at Daniel Meditation with Daniel Sharp. Ugh. <laughs> I'm gonna have to edit this part. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> we're all, we're going so good. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's meditationwithdaniel.com, correct? Yes. So all right. So get out there, visit meditationwithdaniel.com, and definitely check out that book. Uh, it's available now. Makes great gifts. Give it to your friends. Give it to your family. Get out there and just buy the damn book. <laughs> all right. Thanks a lot. Thanks for checking our show, and uh, we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.